And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Robert Bryce, author and journalist and public speaker. And Robert, it's a great honor to have you on with us today. Well, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Always happy to talk to you. It's been a while since we touched base. A lot's been going on. You're an expert in all things. Has, has there? Has there been things? Has <laughs> there been? I, I haven't noticed. Has there been some news lately? I've been I've been out of touch, Elmendorf. What's going on? Is there yeah. is there some there's some issues in the energy and power sectors I haven't heard? Well, I'll tell you. One <laughs> frustration I have is so when I go to the gas pump to fill up my car, it's costing an arm and a leg. Yeah. And uh, maybe even more. So um, and then the diesel fuel is even higher. I don't have a diesel vehicle, but all the trucks on the road trying to deliver goods, uh, they have no choice but to pass that right on to the customers. It's uh, We're in for a, a long and expensive summer, I fear, and yeah. it's not going to be just around gasoline and diesel fuel. Electricity prices are skyrocketing because we've left our grid too, too reliant on natural gas, on pro-natural gas, but now we've, uh, we're producing so much more electricity from natural gas than we were before, and nat gas is in high demand and, and, yeah. and, and high prices. So this is going to ripple across the entire economy, and the people, of course, who are going to get hit the worst are the, the, uh, the low- and middle-income people uh, across the country. Yeah, well, I've got a lot of interesting questions to ask you, but let me sure. just pop this one uh, right away. Um, as you look at our electric delivery mechanism in the United States, where are the weak spots? Well, how much time do we have here, Dan? What, uh, <laughs> is, this a, is this a week-long show? How many weak points uh, well, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm joking, of course, but what we've what we're seeing, and it's very dangerous, is the fragilization of our entire electric grid. Um, what what the U.S. has done is mimic, unfortunately, what the Europeans have done. And I testified before the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee last November, and I said, "Don't do what Europe is doing." What what was Europe doing? Closing their uh, baseload coal and nuclear plants. Yep, we've done that. In fact, we just closed the Palisades mm. plant in Michigan on, on May twentieth. Wow. Um, don't rely too heavily on or, or the don't overinvest in renewables. We've definitely done that. Uh, don't uh, underinvest in hydrocarbons. Again, we've done that. And then oh, rely too much on imports. And e- exactly what the Europeans have done with regard to to Putin. There's been this assumption across the U.S. Oh, we'll just import the energy from somewhere else, right? Other states where the wind is blowing or where there's coal-fired generation. You see that California, the biggest importer of electricity in the country. So we've just mimicked, unfortunately, all of Europe's bad policies. And who's going to pay? Well, it's going to be the consumer. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, I see more and more Teslas on the road, electrical vehicles, and I have no problem in principle with them. But uh, I do think that uh, they have to be charged. Those batteries in there have to be charged. Sure. How, how much extra load does that put on our already delicate grid? Well, this is the part that is just becoming a, a abundantly obvious, Dan, is there is this push uh, among climate activists, NGO uh, groups. I don't call them environmental groups anymore. These NGOs, big NGOs, um, you know their names, Sierra Club, Natural Resource Defense Council, RMI, all pushing this electrify everything push. Well, wait a minute. We're going to electrify everything. The grid can't handle the demand that's on it now. We, right. the, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation on May 20th, the same day that Palisades Nuclear Plant in Michigan closed, 
NERC issued a report saying the entire Midwest is in, in danger of, what do they call it, a high risk of energy emergencies this summer. Why? Because we don't have enough dependable generation on the grid. So we've heard these warnings over and over again from NERC, from FERC, about the, you know, the fragilization of our grid. They've been ignored, and, and we've added we spent way too much on renewables and too little on reliable sources of dispatchable generation. And it's going to become – this mismanagement is going to come with a big cost. Yeah. When I see these leaders, um, the, um, the phrase of stupidity comes to mind as, as I consider them. <laughs> But is it? I don't. But here's let me see. And just to pursue that a little bit, Dan, if you don't mind, because I don't know whether it's ignorance or or malfeasance, whether this mm. is intentional or whether they really don't know. And I go back and forth whether it they just really don't know and don't bother to learn, or in fact that they know better. I mean, either way is inexcusable, right? Either way yeah. is wrong because you, if you're in that position as a policymaker, you should know. But if you don't know, then why don't you know? Or you're purposely deceiving people. And that's maybe even worse. Um, but I don't know which it is. Of course, I can't know. None of us have perfect knowledge. But the result is the same for the consumer. Yes. Now, um, these energy plants, God bless them. I, I love energy plants. I hope I can get a, a tour of several of them. I would love that. But uh, what percent of our power comes from, let's say, all fossil fuels, uh, nuclear, and then renewables. How is it split out? Well, if now let's talk about the overall energy mix, because I can give you that. I can give you the rough estimates when it comes to electricity. We're, we're what about, uh, well, I'll, I'll just hit the, hit the you know, a glo- uh, in terms of primary energy, the yeah. U.S. now is getting 82% of all the energy we consume from hydrocarbons, coal, oil, and natural gas. Okay. We get about, uh, what is it, about uh, 5% from all wind and solar, 5%. And then the rest of that, then the other uh, 13% comes from hydro, nuclear, and biomass. So overall, in terms of overall primary energy, we're still over 80%, 82% hydrocarbons mm-hmm. and just 5% from wind and solar. And yet, all we hear from these NGO and activist groups is, is oh, wind and solar, wind and solar. And meanwhile, the grid is being de- degraded and we're re- retiring yes. our coal and nuclear plants without enough capacity to replace them. This is just a recipe for disaster. It is. And uh, what percent are we now uh, using nuclear? Well, nuclear, in, in terms of electricity, I, I, I've got to look up the numbers if I mm-hmm. just in terms of the overall primary energy. But in terms of electricity, our, our nuclear sector provides oh eighteen to twenty percent okay. of overall electricity, um, and the overwhelming majority of our zero carbon electricity. So, you know, to me, the, the issue of, of carbon, it, yes, climate change is a concern. It's not our only concern. The, the The great thing about these nuclear plants, in my view, is they don't care what you think about climate change. Why they are so valuable is that they provide baseload power from very small footprints, and that's key. And it's a point that I made in the the piece that I published in The Hill on Sunday was that the closure of Palisades, it was producing about seven terawatt hours a year, this one nuclear plant. That's more than all of the wind projects in the entire state of Michigan. Oh, my. So, you know, this idea, oh, we're going to replace all of this stuff with, with wind and solar. No, you're not. 
Not because there's so many people in rural America who are fighting back and saying, you know, we don't want your wind turbines. We don't want your solar panels. Go go put them somewhere where the wind doesn't blow. We don't want them here. (laughs) It's true. Now, uh, how much longer do you think that we're going to take our tax monies and use them to prop up these renewables? It can't go on forever, can it? (laughs) <laughs> forever is a long time dan but <laughs> but what has been uh clear is that the 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 lobby groups for the wind and solar industries are very powerful in washington they are very uh, persuasive and they have the ear of a lot of powerful people but the right now <clears throat> the both the wind and solar industries are in total crisis they you know the uh the 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 green bubble is bursting and mm. what we in for a lot of reasons one is the tariffs on solar panels uh for the wind sector it's it's a uh, high cost of inputs and uh, the materials commodities that they have to use steel uh magnets all these other things and then of course they both have the 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 link to chinese supply chains that is also hampering them so oh. um so these these tax credits are key driver there's just maybe the only driver of the the proliferation of wind and solar and because the tax credits are so in much uncertainty around them that we see this wind industry in particular is in crisis they've closed two uh, uh turbine blade factories one in kansas one in iowa so you know they're they're desperate for a bailout, and I've a piece that I need to write and haven't yet is uh, I've already got the headline. Hey Joe Manchin, solar big wind and big solar want a bailout? Don't give it to them. <laughs> well, if I wasn't uh, interviewing you, you'd have time to write your article. So I want to thank you on behalf of our <laughs> listeners for for putting up with me today. Um, we call it renewable energy, and, and you know I get it. it comes from the sun, let's say, or it comes from wind, and and presumably it will continue to come, but. Um, sometimes I wonder if the term is maybe a little bit overused because of these rare earth materials and and sure. the problem with waste disposable and everything. Can you talk to that? Is it, is it really appropriate to call it renewable? Well, I'll, I'll quote my uh, one uh, uh, scientist who I greatly admire, Jesse Ausubel, who's uh, the director of the program for the human environment at Rockefeller University. He puts it very well. He said, wind and solar may be renewable, but they are not green. There you um, go. And I think that that's the great analysis and a very short summary of what the problem is. Yes, they don't require fuel and inputs. They don't have to buy their fuel, but they require massive inputs. And those inputs include, as you you pointed out, steel, uh, neodymium, iron, boron magnets, which are only available from China, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, cobalt, copper, all of this concrete, all of these materials that are skyrocketing in price. So all of these things together are combining to, you know, expose the gap when it comes to this this concept. Of, oh, well, let's put all this, you know, effort and money into renewables. Well, hold on just a second. What is, what is their intensity? What's their land intensity? I just published a piece last week on a new nuclear design coming out from Rolls-Royce in, in Britain. Their, their small modular reactor design, it's about 470 megawatts, 500 megawatts. It has 10,000 watts per square meter is the power density. It's wow. 10,000 times greater than wind and 1,000 times greater than solar. Well, That's I, where we should be going. Can I get one in my backyard? Well, I don't know whether they have one. It might be a little big for your house. <laughs> but uh, but no, the, I, I just did the simple calculations. It's the only kind I can do, Dan. But it's uh, based on the footprint of these project, of this SMR this, uh, that Rolls-Royce is, is – is, uh, they, they say they'll get a license by 2025, be producing commercial power by 2029. We'll see – whether that happens, 
but it's 470 megawatts on 10 acres. Well, I can do the quick math on that. That's, uh, what is it, 40, uh, 400,000 square meters, and then, you know, just to do the simple math, like, that was 40,000. So, I mean, these are enormously uh, 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 efficient uh, operations when yeah. it comes to footprint and materials and all the things that we need to make energy for ourselves. You know, I, I kind of am wondering, we're talking a little bit about nuclear now, I wonder if, are we kind of at a at a limit? If we don't invest in new nuclear plants, uh, or at least some new fossil fuel plants, whatever, have we reached kind of a, a limit here? Well, that's a key question. And, and it's one that I fear uh, right now that we're just seeing this massive underinvestment and this underinvestment in dispatchable generation. And that's something that's key because NERC, when it issued its report on May 20th, made that very point. We've shuttered uh, uh, the, the MISO, the Mid-Continent, in, uh, Mid, Mid-Continent Independent System Operator. Excuse me, <laughs> Mid-Continent <laughs> Independent System Operator. I got it. Said we've lost 3,200 megawatts of installed generation capacity in the Midwest. Well, that's mostly coal retirements. Mm. Well, so we shouldn't be retiring those plants. They should be kept online. So sure. there's just, you know... This is the, the part that's painful, Dan, is that all of this is self-inflicted. This is all our it own is, isn't it? fault. It's all of these bad policy decisions piled on prior bad policy decisions that are, that are creating this incredible mess. And no one is responsible. No one's picking up the baton and saying, hey, we need to pay attention here, at least not in a policymaking world. And I just find that inexcusable. I mean – the buck has to stop somewhere, and somebody somewhere they have to stand up and say, "You have to do. You, some you have to take responsibility here. This is too important to ignore." You know, another thing I'm wondering too is uh, this is going to sound ignorant. I'm sorry, but how dirty are modern coal plants? I would think that they've improved their emissions greatly over the past fifty years. Well, they have, and the emissions have reduced have been reduced dramatically, and so. Um, you know, this idea that, oh, that these pollutants and from these coal plants is, are, are really dangerous. Well, yeah, I mean, there is some, you know, there, they do have some emissions, but sure. these, the industry has spent enormous amounts of money working to make them cleaner. And so, you know, I, it, it, how, you know, how toxic, how deadly are they? Well, that's uh, open to debate. I, you know, yeah. there are a lot of different studies, but the reality is whether it's coal, whether it's gas, we need more dispatchable generation. And yeah. w- what I fear is you know set the coal issue aside for just a moment is be, we've had this rush to natural gas to replace coal plants with gas well that's fine and it doesn't ma- matter that much of when nat gas is at two or three or four dollars but now it's at a seven eight or nine mm-hmm. and that's a whole different story so it's it's the loss of it's the loss of, and with this is it's the loss of energy diversification across the gotcha stack. well maybe we ought to have a pipeline open for this gas well, except you can't build pipelines in the Northeast, and uh-huh. one of the, of course, the the whether it's gas pipelines or oil pipe oil pipelines, and one of the first things remember that when the Biden administration came in, they canceled the Keystone XL pipeline, and I've heard this from TC Energy. They not only canceled the pipeline, they dug out the section of the pipeline that crosses the U.S. Canada border. Oh my! They dug it out so it can't be put back in again unless they go through some other big round yeah. of you know blah blah. I, you yeah. Know, it's it's just um, it goes back to my stupidity comment, or maybe it's something more than that, or malice. Yeah, yeah I think it is malice. I think you're right. Now, um, 
Today we're talking with Robert Bryce, author, journalist, public speaker. Now you've written some books. Uh, let me before I forget. Um, do you have a book that you'd like to share with the, our, our listeners that they could go and, and get? Oh sure. Well, and remember, uh, all your listeners, you don't have to read my books. You just have to buy them. So you just <laughs> as long as you buy them, I don't. That's what you do after that is it's your business. <laughs> I've written six books. Thank you, Dan. Uh, the latest one is called A Question of Power, Electricity, and the Wealth of Nations, um, which I'm very proud of. It's out now just about two years. came out during mm. the, the beginning of COVID, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, it's still very relevant. And uh, that book is out. Um, you can also look at my, my new film. It's called Juice, How Electricity Explains the World. I made the film and wrote the, wrote the book at the same time. Uh, and Juice is on all the major streaming platforms. Uh, Roku Channel is on Roku Channel for free. Uh, it's on uh, Google Play, Amazon Prime, et cetera. So you can check that out. And, of course, the Power Hungry podcast. Yes. Now, uh, people might say, oh, you guys are, you're crazy. Like, you know, nothing's wrong. They might say r- that anyway, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> nothing's wrong with the grid. But, you know, I seem to recall that uh, not too long ago there was a problem down there in Texas. Can you uh, remind us what happened there? Oh, oh sure. Well, uh, the, what's remarkable when we look back at what happened in the, the failure of the ERCOT grid or near complete collapse of the ERCOT grid in February of 2021, very similar to what we saw in California. You know, what, how remarkable is it that California and Texas are on parallel paths? I mean, two states that could be scarcely be more different politically and demographically in terms yeah. of, you know, uh, uh, political leanings and so on. But end up in the same place because they both have fragilized their grids and both have done it in in similar in a similar way in this idea that oh, we'll just deregulate the market and let the market decide. No, 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 no. That's okay if you're selling air, airplane seats. It's not when you're dealing with the most important energy network in society, the mm-hmm. electric grid. So we've seen this push for deregulation and it's been – it's been, we, you know, the consumers are getting hurt again because they were sold this idea this is going to be b- good for them and it's been bad for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing a picture of um, a wind turbine that was all frozen up. Did that actually happen? Well, you know, okay, look, so there, let me start by just being clear. There, there are a lot of reasons why the, the grid came so close to collapse and why we had people, you know, like me who are blacked out. Lauren and I, my wife and I were blacked out here in Austin for 45 hours. A lot yeah. of events came together. And, what, you know, what's the short answer? Well, it got really cold and there wasn't enough natural gas to provide all the power that was needed. But that ignores or you, you have to extend that conversation and say, and why was that? And that was because in the years before the blackouts, $66 billion was spent on wind and solar, that would none of which was available when the grid was on the verge of collapse. Mm-hmm. And second, that in the 50 months before the, before the near collapse, Texas retired 6,000 megawatts of coal-fired capacity. Mm-hmm. So these things all lined up together, um, resulted in this situation where the grid in Texas is very fragile and still is because we haven't added more dispatchable capacity. We've added more weather-dependent capacity. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a serious matter. Today we're talking with Robert Bryce, and he's written the book, A Question of Power, Electricity and the Wealth of Nations, as well as some other books. Um, what's your outlook? And this, nobody knows, I'm sure, but you may have a gut feel is, do you have any outlook for the possibility of rolling blackouts this year? Well, sure. I mean, this is what um, the, the NERC report on May 20th made clear, that 
something like two-thirds of the entire continental U.S. is at risk, a heightened risk of blackouts this summer. Two-thirds. Wow. So, I mean, it's just an incredible uh, situation where, you know, we're one of the luckiest uh, countries in the world in terms of, of physical, you know, the, 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 the geography and the natural resources that we have, and yet we are just mismanaging our most important energy network. And, yeah. and it's not just going to be the potential for blackouts, rolling blackouts. It's going to be at very high cost because, again, remember, nat gas prices are going up. The higher gas prices go up, the higher electricity prices go. So it, it, we're getting hit by a, a, a number of different factors, but all are translating into higher costs for consumers. Mm. You know, another thing people don't take the time to appreciate is um, the delicacy, even of a standard plant. Um, I'll be careful how much info I share here, but um, our son works in HVAC, uh, and uh, he had a call. He was on call one night, 3.30 in the morning, uh, a power plant uh, unit goes down because uh, of a cooling problem. Right. And uh, pump house and the breaker systems, and, and it turns out that if they didn't get their cooling resolved for later in the day, they would have had to shut down their turbines. Right. People don't realize how how close it comes to shutting down a source of power. And if you shut down that source of power, and maybe if one more goes down, all of a sudden, you've got blackouts. That's a serious thing. You know, it's uh, my friend Meredith Angwin, who I, I greatly admire. She has a, a wonderful book called Shorting the Grid. The subtitle is uh, The Hidden Fragility of Our Electric Grid. Shorting the Grid, The Hidden Fragility of Our Electric Grid. Yes. She makes this very point that, that throughout that this, the grid that we rely on, we take it for granted, but it is, the, the thing itself is very fragile, and we ignore that fragility at our extreme peril. Yeah, and here's a guy, you know, our, our son, we love him and proud of him. Um, one cell phone, the message got through, he responded all alone, middle of the night, solved the problem, and the plant stayed up. And, and so people don't realize that, you know, your, your job is very important. You just don't want to say, ah, forget it tonight. <laughs> I'm on call. Who cares? Right. Uh, no, no. The things that you do really count, dear listener. So uh, do a good job for the glory of God. Um, any other comments you want to make? we got about two, three minutes remaining. We're talking with Robert Bryce. Well, sure, Dan, I guess, you know, of course, you know, I'm happy if any listeners look at my books or follow me. I'm on Twitter at, at PowerHungry, at PWRHungry, uh, and look at my website, robertbrice.com. But, you know, you know, I, I encourage them to not just look at what I do, but, you know, educate yourselves about the energy and power sectors. This is one area where common people need to understand. Every voter, every person needs to understand our energy and power systems better. Yes. We, have a, we have a scientifically illiterate society. And I say that with not, not any accusatory way or you know, in demeaning way, but it's just a fact that the, the science and, and math, are, you know, a lot of us just ignore it and don't think about it. But these are the, the, our energy and power systems are the way they are because of basic physics and simple math. It's not some conspiracy, but we need to understand those things and understand how important these systems are to every person on the planet. And we need more energy, not less. And we need it affordable and reliable and resilient. Yeah, so true. You know, sometimes I hear people talk about carbon footprint and putting out carbon. And it's interesting, kind of a sleight of hand, really. It's, they're talking about carbon dioxide, mm -hmm. which is a very innocent gas. Yeah, I know it's a 
greenhouse gas, but, um, you know, I'd, I don't see human-produced CO2 as the main control lever for climate change. Well, as I said, climate change is a concern. It's not our only concern. We yeah. have to balance our concern about uh, a CO2 with the welfare of every person on the planet. And what we know and is absolutely certain, and I point this out regularly in, my, in what, I, what I write and in my, my latest book, there are three billion people in the world today who use less electricity than an average kitchen refrigerator in the United States. Mm. Four out of 10 people in the world live in electricity poverty. So while we get wrapped around talking about, you know, carbon emissions and closing this coal plant and, you know, the merits of this, this federal, federal subsidy and that one, we have to keep in perspective what is happening around the rest of the world. And I think that that perspective is, is often uh, lost. Yes. Well, I really like nuclear, and I know you do too. And uh, I'm sad to see another nuclear plant shut down. Uh, are For there... no good reason. For no good oh. reason, Dan. I mean, this. where is the? Where are the policymakers? Where are they? Sta- why aren't they standing up and shouting from the rooftops? No, you cannot do this. This is critically important infrastructure for our society. If you're not going to run it, we'll run it. And, and yet yeah. nothing, nothing from the governor of, of Michigan, who just in April said, oh, yeah, this is a top priority. We must save Palisades. Well, where are you, governor? Michigan it's it's silliness, absolute silliness. Well, thank you very much, Robert Bryce, author, journalist, public speaker, and a website, please, so our listeners can look you up after this program. Sure, robertbryce.com, like the canyon, Robert Bryce. Oh, that's simple. Robert Bryce, my friend, thank you very much, and may God bless you going forward in the work that you're doing. That's very kind, Dan. Thank you, sir. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.